Hey there, this is Matt, and welcome back to Food Under Fire, where we ask hospitality folk two questions about the COVID-19 pandemic. How can we help you? How can you help us? On this episode, I'm stretching the definition of that tagline, but not too much. I'll explain. First, let's take a look at the definition of the term hospitality. According to the Oxford Dictionary, hospitality is the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Here's another basic description, saying that hospitality is about people welcoming other people into their homes or other places where they work or spend their time. So there's a common through line there. Hospitality is all about welcoming strangers into your space and providing for them. This isn't necessarily constrained to restaurants, catering events, and other things of that nature. Hospitality is an expression of selflessness. It's humans providing for other humans with absolutely no expectation of reciprocated effort. And as of late, we've been seeing a lot of that. Or at least many of us here living in St. Paul and Minneapolis have been seeing it. Now more than ever, strangers and community members around here are expressing their hospitality in ways that go far beyond the restaurant industry. I've heard of friends letting other friends sleep on couches while they figure out a new housing situation or people volunteering almost all their free time at food banks. The examples are endless and speak to how most of us are truly good-natured at our core. So, this episode is all about hospitality and the unique ways it tends to express itself in times of strife. Enjoy. Oh, and as a reminder, be sure to subscribe to the podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you like the content, be sure to share with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can keep up to date with things if you follow me on Instagram at Matthew underscore Gundrum or on Facebook at Food Under Fire Pod. Thanks. When you see a homeless encampment, What's the first thing that comes to mind? Do you have pity? Do you feel sad? Perhaps you're relieved that the people have at least somewhere to be, better than a park bench. Homelessness in the Twin Cities is a problem that has faced decades of neglect, but is now getting a spotlight following the COVID-19 pandemic and recent civil unrest. According to a survey done by the Wilder Foundation, people without a formal shelter increased 62% from 2015 to 2018. It's also estimated that roughly 20,000 people here experience homelessness, and one-fourth of that population is without a formal shelter. We also must consider the fact that places of refuge that were once commonplace for the homeless are now closed, such as libraries and the light rail. In other cases, there are far too many individuals in one shelter to accept any more. There are so many stories to tell here, but there is one in particular that has gained both local and national coverage. The Homeless Sanctuary at Powderhorn Park in Minneapolis. At this time, there are now over 200 tents scattered throughout the park in different groupings. Some estimates have said that this number exceeds 300. So, how did this happen? I'll give a brief summary. During the most intense periods of rioting following the death of George Floyd, many people in South Minneapolis found themselves temporarily or permanently displaced. Many people flocked to a former Sheraton Hotel building, 
It soon became an unofficial sanctuary for those experiencing homelessness, and volunteers rushed to give aid. It became a bastion of hope in the community, as many locals praised it as a leaderless utopia for the needy. In fact, it even raised $100,000 for supplies on GoFundMe. But everything changed on Tuesday, June 9th, early in the morning, when a fire and drug overdose had occurred on the fourth floor of the building. Emergency personnel arrived on the scene, and soon after, all tenants of the former Sheraton building were given eviction notices. These events set the stage for things to come. The volunteers at the hotel were struggling to keep up with demand. They hoped a larger organization would swoop in with more aid. In the following week, small groups of people began to leave the hotel, settling into Powderhorn Park nearby. This move was soon met with 72-hour eviction notices from the Minneapolis Parks and Recreation Board. But these notices were rescinded as more and more people began coming into the park. Eventually, the former Sheraton building was completely cleared out due to growing human welfare concerns. Soon enough, the numbers of people in the Powderhorn Park ascended past the 100 mark and then 200. On June 17th, the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board passed a resolution designating Minneapolis parks as sanctuaries for people currently experiencing homelessness in response to the Powderhorn Park situation. Seeing these stories unfold, I was taken aback by the chaos that these people had to endure in the last month. Displacement from COVID-19 and then displacement from the riots, it seemed to be an ultimate test of human will. And yet, these people continued to fight for a place to stay. And that brings us to this podcast. As someone who likes to view things from a food angle, I asked myself, how are these people getting fed? What's the hospitality situation? So I visited the encampment and talked to a few of the volunteers to figure out what's going on. As you'll see, a lot of these conversations go far beyond food. The first person I spoke with was Jack, a union stagehand who had a career in the entertainment industry. These days, he's out of work and is now a volunteer at the encampment's central food hub. In terms of how food is being distributed and how it's being received and, and just anything related to food here, are, are you in charge of that? or, or No, no one's in charge. It's an autonomous collective to where basically there is no centralized leader. We've all volunteered our time because the need, the need popped up because the city failed us and the need popped up for us to, uh, to take over and try to take care of people. I'm on unemployment. I'm a union stagehand. I'm on unemployment. I live in the neighborhood. The need came about. And so those of us, people like Janelle, these people here, we all decided that we had to get together and do something. We're, we're not, there, there's a lot of good groups here that are doing things. We're getting people into housing. We're getting people mental help. Uh, we're not really solving anything. We're just trying to put a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound and trying to do something positive right now. Everything is donation-based. We don't have capabilities to do really any cooking. Everything is donation-based. It comes in, we sanitize it. We go through it, we pass it out to people. Everyone here is volunteer-based. Uh, we also do harm reduction here. We try not to judge anyone's uh, drug addictions, alcohol problems, anything like that. We try not to judge anybody. Like, we are just here for compassion and patience and to give people just a safe spot to be at for a little bit, you know? All the f I wish that we could be more sustainable and not create so much garbage, but we don't really have a choice right now. You know what I mean? Because with 
We don't really have running water and all that. We're doing the best that we can every day with what we have. But we right. are basically all dependent on people's charity and people's kindness, which is, in Minneapolis, there's quite a bit of it. You know? Right. Yeah. So at, at what point did you join this collective? I've been here for a while. Uh, from, I went from the Sheridan and came here. It's been over a month. This, this, yeah, and her too. Yeah. Right. C- can you guys tell me more about how this kind of formed? Because when it comes to these more, you know, horizontal type systems where there's no real leader, everyone's kind of working during, for themselves. During the riots, during the George Floyd, during the George Floyd protests, uh, a group of activists went to the Sheridan and said, "Hey, people are looting. Things are getting burned down. Can we take over?" Because the Sheridan was about to go bankrupt. People weren't coming in there. They're like, "Can we take over and make this an encampment?" You know, it'll protect your building and it'll protect these people because there was a homeless encampment on Minnehaha and the police came literally the middle of the night and just threw everyone out. And there was another encampment in Little Earth that did the same thing. When people were paying attention to the protests, the cops came and kicked all these people out of two encampments. You know, and then a group of activists took over the Sheridan and we were there and then we really got in over our heads, at least from what I saw. I was just the cleanup guy. But it kind of got out of hand because, you know, when you have a group of people that want to do well and we're working with good intentions, mistakes happen. People, you know, fall between the cracks. It kind of got out of hand there due to no fault of our own. It's it's like every place you go, 98% of these people are amazing and golden. They're just in a bad position and they're in a position in life where they can't help themselves because in this society, it's so expensive to get an apartment. It's so difficult to get a job. You know what I mean? Like if you just make one single mistake, you're fucked. You know what I mean? You make one mistake, you break your leg, you break your finger, you're fucked. I mean, we live in a city to where even to apply for an apartment, it costs you $25. It costs you $25 to $40 just to apply. So, yeah, I haven't looked for one in five years. You pay $25 to $75 just to look for an apartment. You know what I mean? And then if you have someone here who made a mistake and they've been incarcerated or they've been injured and, and, the, and there's, a, there's a gap in their work history, you can't get a job. You, you, you can't get a job, you can't get an apartment. If you have bad credit, you can't get a place. If you have any, you know, we also live in a society to where some of these people have, have gone to jail or gone to prison, they've paid their debt to society and they've tried to come back and re-enter society and they're still being charged for the crimes they did before. They're not allowed housing and they're not allowed access to the basic needs, you know? And it's just basically, it's just, we're just trying to help. We're just trying to like, give people like somewhere to lean, something to help pick them up a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah. So and again, in terms of what you're doing to help and when it comes to how food is related, how are things being operated then? Are there different food hubs? Is this the only one? There's another encampment over there. Uh, There's a company called Sisters Camelot. They're feeding at 38th of Chicago. There's another group called High Hopes Kitchen. They are over at the parking lot at Lake Minnehaha, like at at that, where that cub and all that is. They have that, and they're also a mobile kitchen. They go wherever it's needed. But all the food, like I said here, is all donated. We're keeping it on ice. We serve it as people come. You know, if people need, you know, more than one Gatorade, we give it to them because we're not going to be hoarding free stuff, you know? You know, I mean, yeah. Basically, like I said, all the food is brought in as donations. And right. then we receive it. There's been a, a, quite a few really amazing restaurants. Reverie, Modern Times, Sous Chef, Loaves and Fishes. Domino's, um, Domino's came here. Domino's. Domino's came here, yeah. really? Yeah, Pizza Luce has, has, wow. has donated stuff because I'm friends with all the people that own Luce. And a lot of local restaurants have stepped up and brought us food. The ones I've seen the most has been Reverie, Sous Chef. I forgot the amazing people that came this morning. You know, like I said, it's all volunteer-based. I would like to, at one point, get to a point where we're like food, not bombs. 
where we're actually cooking food and serving it, you know, but that's, that's a long way in the future. Yeah. Right. And yeah. perhaps you can get there. I mean, things have really evolved and kind of developed yeah, yeah. already. So mm -hmm. who, who knows yeah. where, where things are going to And on the weekends, go. some group of like Road Warrior EDM kids, they show up here and they serve like hamburgers and all that. Like, yeah, they, they, like they showed up the last few weekends. I don't know how to explain them. Like they all look like Road Warrior and they listen to really bad EDM, but yeah. they serve people and they're really nice kids, right. you know? So, and so you talk about these different hubs that are all over the place, one at one encampment, this one here, mm -hmm. other place. So are these, are these hubs communicating? Are you guys saying, Hey, I have this, these resources. What do you need? Yes. What do you guys need? Like, we're, we're how trying. is the communication we're working? We're trying our best. You know, you gotta realize I'm the morning guy and I come from the rock and roll production world. I'm not the best communicator. I'm really good at finding things, solving problems. And I'm really good with people because I have to deal with, you know, I've toured with insane clown posse, slipknot, all these crap. So I'm really good at dealing with people. And yeah, there, there, there is communication, but I'm literally, I'm here from seven in the morning till 1 p.m. So I don't know anything that goes on at any meetings or what happens. She is the best person to ask about things like that because she's here way more than I am. Okay. I then but, spoke like, with Janelle, yeah, a community volunteer who is helping oversee operations at the camp. She's also president of Freedom from the Streets, a nonprofit based in Minneapolis that gives opportunities to those experiencing homelessness. You, you just said earlier that you were here all night I'm all here every night, every night we've been here. I've been at the Sheraton here. I, um, the move from Sheraton, I would say, I would say different from what he just said because uh, me being black, I know what goes on in, well, I know the streets, I know I know what goes on in the streets. Mm -hmm. That Sheraton was not all that good, all, all that good. And um, if you look on the corner right now, it's people dealing drugs and doing drugs and ain't nobody getting them off the floor. So when you got a group of people that that's um, yes that's on that stuff and or you know trying to kick habits and then you got a dope man sitting at the corner, you can't get off of it because the dope man's sitting right there. So you, once you clean that up, that be done. Like Pee Wee Park, we got some people at Pee Wee Park and we, you know, they got some lunch team that come there at one to some, uh, one to three or something over there. That's where some of our people went over there. So. Um, they come over here and get service or get food, and it's not like um, our service is mostly, to me, I feel, I feel like the service is mostly trying to help the people that's on this campus right now, because we got over 200 people over here. So it's for them, um, because other people could go to other places to get them, and these people cannot go there like that. You know, some people don't want to move away from their family, move away from their tent, because they think their tent going to be gone. Because we already had one um, police incident already. So people think their tent's going to be gone, so they want to stay where their tent is at. So, um, yeah, it's drugs over there. In Pee Wee Park, we, we was originally going to go over there, but it was two drugs two drugs over there. It would have happened, the same thing that happened at Sheraton, would happened over there. And you look at over there at Pee Wee Park, you see those drug dealers all over there. They won't go away. And not only that bad is over there is that they got treatments over there. Now that's bad when you got treatments and drug dealers over there. People trying to get clean, and then you got people that want to sell it right over there. And ain't nobody cleaning it up. Ain't nobody saying nothing, and just letting it go on. And then when they get a problem inside a place, then you want to say that place. Now where did it start it from? It started from that corner where people are hanging at, and you see them hanging there, and you know they're up to no good. It's a bus stop right there. Hey, if they're not getting on that bus, then what are they doing? That's how I feel. Do you mention the Sheraton and how it seemed like it was kind of doomed to be a bad situation? I mean, what exactly happened? I mean, 
was it just bad from the get-go? A bad situation from the get-go? It wasn't a bad situation from the get-go. It was bad because, I mean, it was nice that that was had happened, but they had to look at the corners. You had to look at the corners. You had to see what is around here. You see around here, ain't no dope man over here. Ain't no dope man sitting on the corner here. Right. It's just nice, clean neighborhood. So when we came here, we 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 wanted to, we told our people we got to have it clean here. We cannot have it dirty here. It's not dirty here. It's not nothing wrong here. No done right here. We got to have it clean. So we have it clean. We have volunteers that comes and help too. That comes and pick up trash. But we try to make our people be responsible. Um, be responsible to pick up too. To clean up. So they being more responsible over here than they would in the shelter. Because shelters, whoo, they're not no good. Not no fun. Really? No, they're not fun. Especially uh, Salvation Army Shelter. Oh, my God. No, it's not fun. It's hell. Would you say this is almost a better alternative yes. to a shelter? Really? Yes. Yes. Because we govern ourselves. We are um, having meetings with ourselves. And we're talking about the issues that goes on. And we hand it in them. We got our own smart team. Our, our um safety team that we you know control our people oh anything get out of hand we control ourselves and police first police they don't want to do anything anyway they um see people around they don't want to do it they don't want to do their job well speaking of police you said there was a police incident here recently well it was um really not a police incident it was somebody that we needed um mental mental health and they wouldn't take them. They wouldn't take them because they said that this is a, a ground that they could be on. But if they tearing up or doing something, you know, they need help. And that's one thing about here, here, um, Minnesota that we don't have enough mental health people here to help our people. We got mental people, mental health in here, but I'm saying like out in, out in there, we don't have enough of them. Um, I don't think it's any laws that that help mental illness people. I was on a day on a mental day on a hill. I spoke out there because I had my uh, fiance. He killed himself because he didn't want to be homeless again. So there's no mental health here to help people. And when they do, they treat them like a kid. Like oh yeah, hey. and that's not. I'd be like, if I if I was a mental health person, I because I know how because I got mental illness. I know that's not the that's not the best way to do it. So I don't know where they get their practice from because I think they practice is all whack. Mm-hmm. All mental health practice is all whack because yeah, it's gonna end up happening. It's gonna end up having people destroy things. They can they can tear things up. They go and then you put them in jail. What are you gonna do in jail when they come back out? <laughs> F more things up. So that's not a solution. Putting them in jail because they got a mental health—that's not a solution. Um, you're not helping them at all. That's as far as I can see. The state is not helping them at all. They need to go in that office and find something out what they could do for mental health. Get a mental health. Uh, pe- all people that got mental health issues, get them all together and talk about it because they're not helping them. They babying them. And here we're not. We then began to get a little off topic, but I couldn't help but be fascinated by our conversation. Honestly, she was informing me on things that I was completely clueless about. 
First, she told me about the food situation at local shelters versus the food situation at encampments like these. Soon after that, she brought up the problem with school lunches. So in terms of, so going back to the shelters, do you know what their food situation is like? I'm just kind of curious, again, going back to food, what the shelter's oh, food situation the, the is shelter, like compared to here. The situation, Salvation Army is very nasty. I, don't, I mean, I like the true food trucks that come out out the side of the house, out the side of them, and they're not know they're not connected to them, but they come out. That's food better than that going inside and eating that cheese and time. For real. So the food trucks come out here. No, the food trucks. I mean, talking about Salvation Army. Oh, they, they go out. to the Salvation Army. Yeah, it, they they just independent. Those foods are better, but I guess Salvation Army told them that they couldn't come out anymore. Some of them couldn't come out anymore, but I don't know why they turned them away when when their food is so terrible. Right. That, well, that's what I'm wondering. Like Salvation Army, I. I would almost imagine that your food might be better. You it just... is better. <laughs> it, it's way ten times better. It's ten times better than we got people that is, is serving it that's got a smile on their face. Ain't, you know what I'm saying, ain't got an attitude with you. Over there, you go over there, go get a food from them. you scared to get a piece of bread from them. you scared to ask them for anything over there. And I'm just saying, Salvation Army needs to go down <laughs> for real. Because most of these people, when we asked them to go places, to go to shelters and stuff, and we said we got a shelter, they had 50 beds open for, uh, for uh, Salvation Army. None of them wanted to go because of the situation. They, they said, man, I stay outside in the ground. So, yeah, they'd rather be here at yeah. one of these in, encampments. Yeah, they'd rather be here. And they talk about building houses up on the thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. I mean, what about you and your eating situation? Are you so busy that you, like, forget to eat? I mean, I just, I feel like in times of stress and helping tons of people, you almost forget about your own needs. Yes, yes, I do. Sometimes I do. But we have um, a, um, a neighbor here that does acupuncture and that, that helps with healing. He comes over here and help, and, and he's worried. he'd be worried about me because he see me running all over. So then it's like, um, besides... And so, I mean, my eating habit is is not the best right now. It's never been the best. It ne it's never really been the best, but it really right now it's not. But when I get my, my hungry pain, I have to get something. Well, a lot of people's eating is fucked up right now, you know? Yes. It's just, it's not a normal time. And you know, the school lunches, the school lunches is nasty now. My kids come home and tell my mom, can you can you buy me this? Can you buy me a Lunchable? And I'm like, yeah, a Lunchable. <laughs> Why you ain't eating that there? You get free lunch. They don't want to eat that. I heard their garbage cans are full up. And that's a waste of money. Waste of taxpayer money. If your garbage person, you go back to the old lunch. The old lunch we used to have, the pieces and all that crap. Um, you think it ain't no good? Then throw some carrots or something in there. <laughs> throw some kind of vegetables in there. But go back to the old lunch and school lunches. Because this lunch right here is terrible. My kids hate it. And they won't even eat it. They're asking for Lunchables instead. Yes. <laughs> and then my, um, I had a, te I had a teenager daughter that was pregnant, and they, they, I had to give her a pass to go out to McDonald's, and all the kids was going to McDonald's. How healthy is that? If you're not eating the school, they get the school lunch, throw it in the garbage, and walk right out. And they'd rather go to McDonald's yeah. than eat school lunch. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yes. Oh, my. That shouldn't be a thing. They... they I mean, because McDonald's tastes better, but man, it's terrible for you. Right, if you had the old lunches, they wouldn't be doing that. 
So what was the old, you speak about the old lunches compared to these newer ones that yeah. aren't as good. What do you mean by that? What were the old lunches? My, my, my daughter snuck a, a, a piece at home one day. The piece of bread is so thick like this. The cheese is so thin. The sauce is so thin. It's like, mom, I'm eating bread. <laughs> you know, it, it, the old pieces was thin. They were, you know, they was nice. Uh, you could easy cook them. I used to be school lunch lady too. So you could easily put them in there and take them out. But when it was so thick and stuff, you had to you can't you can't tell if they're done or not unless you're sticking it with, you know sticking it with something to see if it's done. And it, I don't know how they're doing it because it's gotta take a lot of time to cook that that food. So I know they gotta. Yeah, I bet you they paying those, those people a lot of money now because I remember it was three hours. They probably paying them for six hours to cook that food. So do you know what happened there then? So you, you talk about the old food at the schools and now the new stuff that's not as good. What happened? I mean, did they lose funding and they had to make no. cheaper, crappier stuff? Or to, like... um, Obama, um, Cheryl Obama said that we wasn't eating healthy food and we need to change it. That's one thing I heard. And, I, and you know, I remember working at Target Field, because I work at Target Field, but I can't work at Target Field right now because of Super Vac is closed. Um, there's some young kids, and they was, you know, servers, like 17 of them. And they was so fucking hungry. And I said, don't y'all go to school? They said, no, we don't eat lunch at school. I said, why not? That fucking Obama wouldn't, that motherfucker, she changed the food and I can't eat that shit. They were so hungry. And look at all these kids, they are hungry now. I'm saying you need to do a podcast on kids with food. That's what you need to do. You walk around, talk to these kids that go to school and ask them how the hell they doing it. They will tell you that fucking Obama. I mean, not to say that way, but excuse my French, but that's the way people coming at me with that is F Obama food. Can we please go back to the way it was? Because at first they took chocolate milk out, and I heard they put it back in. I don't know, but that was wrong. Because you can't hardly get people to drink milk. So, yeah, they need to change. They need to. Ch you need to walk around and talk to these school kids. And um, most of these school kids are glad they're out of school because the lunches are terrible. They are so glad they're out of school because lunch is terrible. They better do their they things on the computer and eat at home. And that's not, that that's okay, but at, at the same time, you know, that don't get their parents a break. No. Yeah. That's interesting because that plan seemed to backfire because you say, like, Michelle Obama wanted kids to eat healthier. But now she's having these schools give food to kids, and these kids don't like the food, so then they go to somewhere else and end up eating even more unhealthy. Yes. Like you say, they go to McDonald's instead. Yeah. So her plan completely... Failed. <laughs> it failed. And then, like, uh, they were, they were, kids will tell you, and even if you went to the school, they would take the lunches, because they had to take... They, uh, the people make them take the lunch lunches. So what they do is they say, okay, I'm going to take the lunch, and, and they would take it and go right to the garbage can and, and dump it and go right out the door. And that's not cool. So, I don't know. I'm a black woman. She's a black woman. I'm not down in here, but that idea was not good. Yeah. She should have left it alone. Unless she was going to come in the kitchen and cook it herself. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how I feel. If she was going to come in there and kick it herself, that would be okay. But you trying to make everybody do that, and you're not coming in the kitchen and doing it? 
Is, and you talk about healthy? No. Yeah, I don't think so. After my conversation with Janelle, I ran into Greg. He was there staying with a friend and helping her out. He struck up a conversation with me about how impressed he was by the volunteers. They do this for free out of the kindness of their own heart. Just to go and help out. Your younger generation, I'm, I'm 1969. We kind of fuck shit up because our parents were stuck on stupid. But no, these guys are cool. They show up. People show up with food. We've got clothing over here. Uh, you know, even if people have like uh, uh, alcohol withdrawals, they can be helped over there. Uh, we got a lot of uh, RNs, registered nurses show up on this side. But this side's kind of the older, I call this the cool kid side. Over there is more of the tweaker side. But it's, it's, it's similar in shape, you know. Humans will do weird stuff. But as far as the food goes, they check everything in. They're all wearing gloves. They all have masks on. Nothing's really hot, so you don't have to worry about an NSF-approved kitchen or anything like that. And sometimes there are restaurants that do have the NSF-approved kitchen. Everything shows up. It's all finely packed. They bring it to a certain location. Uh, they check everything out, and then it's served. Nobody touches the food. It's served by these guys, so... Greg told me more about his background. He used to work in the hospitality industry as a caterer and a chef, sometimes cooking for more than 30 people on his own. We talked for a bit longer about the food situation, and although a very large garbage truck cut us short, I love talking with the guy. Wish we could have talked longer. They're doing a phenomenal job. It's weird because it, it changes every day. And people out of the kindness of their hearts, sometimes they live down here. Some lady brought some uh, overnight oats, whatever those are for. I'm not going to eat them because I'm a meat eater. I like the cheese, meat. I'm not doing this this shit. But uh, I'm, I'm going to hang out with these guys. My assessment of the food situation, they're killing it. Right. You can't you said you're from the hospitality industry. Absolutely. They're doing a fantastic job. They all have gloves. Everything's wiped down. They're sanitizing stuff. Wash, rinse, sanitize. They're, you can't do it any better. Someone should write a book on how to do this shit. Well, I'm walking away from Powderhorn Park right now, and I have to say that was just an incredible experience, kind of witnessing that community togetherness that just arose out of nothing, and a sort of operation that's occurring with any without any sort of hierarchy. It's kind of like a horizontal setup. Everyone's in charge of their own thing, but everyone's kind of communicating and operating on their own tasks and, and helping in whatever way they can without any sort of real leadership or boss kind of giving them direction. And I can only hope that such a thing can be a model for the future of, of community activism and community, again, community togetherness, because that's what we need more of, just people together helping for the sake of helping not helping for the sake of some organization, helping for the sake of a paycheck, helping for the sake of pushing an agenda, but helping for the pure sake of just being there, helping for the sake of human beings. Thanks a lot for listening to this whole thing. It was quite a change in pace, but I figured this platform would be an appropriate place to share these stories. I hope you think so too. 
I'll include links on how you can donate or physically help with the Powderhorn Sanctuary. They're always looking for assistance. As a reminder, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you like the content, be sure to share with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can keep up to date with things if you follow me on Instagram at Matthew underscore Gundrum or on Facebook at Food Under Fire Pod. To bring things full circle, let's think once more about that word, hospitality. What you just listened to is what I find to be the epitome of hospitality. Volunteers feeding other people out of no motive other than kindness. In a park that is flexing its normal rules to give space to those experiencing homelessness. If that isn't hospitality, I don't know what is. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Take care.